America. My name is Irene Ose Frimpong, and I'm coming to you live every Friday as I do because, and this is a very important show, I want to try to kind of give a quality of black history that you might not have heard in your K through 12 education. And um, today's show is going to be about one Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton was a young man who was assassinated in uh, the late 60s in Chicago as the chairman of the Black Panther Party, or the deputy chairman of the Black Panther Party. And he was a fascinating mind and a wonderful organizer. And I'm going to play a few clips from a documentary called The Murder of Fred Hampton and talk about what Fred Hampton means for us. Right, and why we need to study Fred Hampton and why Fred Hampton deserves to be up there um, as just kind of a mind and an aspiration and an, uh, kind of a figure that we all should look up to. So I'll just, um, so that's going to be the show. Let me kick the opening and then we'll get right to it. To the beach, Never change the ways for the world or the government. If it was the president, then I would state facts. You leave it up to me, I'll paint the White House black and it can feature in your front. And so we're back. Fred Hampton, uh, deputy chairman of the Black Panther Party, was assassinated by the FBI, your government, and uh, assassinated, yeah, December 4th. So, you know, 20. 51, 51 years ago, um, uh, last week. And in Chicago, you know, there's a movie coming out about this. I'm sure it'll be fine. It's, it'll go over the, the glorification of assassination. There's also a fantastic documentary that I pulled these clips from called The Murder of Fred Hampton. So if you like anything I'm saying, go ahead and just find a way to get that documentary. And it goes through a few of his archive speeches and and a little bit of the assassination turns out that, you know, they got one of his friends to roll on him and drug him. And then the FBI kicked open the door and, and shot him up. And that is the assassination of Fred Hampton. But more important than his death, I think, at least for me, is the quality of insight that he actually delivered in his life. And one thing that might have made him so dangerous. So we're going to go over that quality of insight and first, I want to do, uh, I'm going to start with a one clip that is from uh, the documentary, and it takes place when they think there's going to be a raid on the Black Panther headquarters in Chicago. Uh, so they think there's going to be a raid on the Black Panther headquarters in Chicago, and Fred's just kind of talking about how he got involved in the movement and, and what's going on. And this is what we're going to watch. Panther headquarters. Police raid is expected. We're praying that Henningham leads the charge. I'm praying he leads the charge. I said that the team would take it out tonight. I do. I do. We go out there. We go out there. We go out there. Yeah, but they be here. We don't know what time they be here, but they will be here. Yeah, you're probably going to check if you want to do that. All I know is we got there. Okay. Uh, 
Here's your water and your uh, mask. Keep this on you. Okay. Keep this on you. know, I know a lot of people, you know, that hear things like this and see things like this, couldn't understand the motive behind this. Some of us young people, you know what I mean? I know a lot of people couldn't understand. The, uh, me, myself, you know. I was born in a so-called uh, bourgeois community and had some of the better things you could say of life. And I found that even some of the better things of life for black people were too cool. And I found that it was more people starving than it was people eating. And I found that more people uh, didn't have clothes than they did have clothes. And I found that I just happened to be one of the few. And I made a commitment to myself that I wouldn't stop doing what I'm doing until all those people are free. A lot of times I wanted for it to be possible for people to be free under capitalism. I wanted to, for uh, socialism to be able to be brought about through means other than violent means. But those were times when I was trying to be subjective. I was looking at things and trying to make them the way I wanted to make them be. Because I didn't mind dying, but I just thought, well, everybody shouldn't have to die. And what we're saying is that we, we're more than people that are for armed struggle. We're people that are for armed struggle for the purpose of bringing on the people's revolution, for the purpose of setting up initiative a socialistic state, and for the purpose, secondarily, of advancing into what you would call utopia or what we would call a communist state. We're saying that by observation and participation, by educating and by arming and by teaching the people revolutionary political power, we think that we as the vanguard can move those people that need to be moved that way. We can let those people ride our backs as oxen down the path of social revolution. So what's interesting about that clip is Fred Hampton's just talking about, look, I didn't, I didn't, I don't like guns. I don't like violence. I want my people to be free. And I wanted it to be the case that this would happen without violence. I wanted it to be the case where, you know, I could just make good arguments and say like, all right, so you guys have a lot and we have a little and you guys have a lot because we have a little and I'm going to need, what are we going to do to make this situation whole? Like he wanted to be, um, he wanted to believe that that was true. But first of all, he understood that just because he wanted it to believe that that was true doesn't mean that it's true. And this is a hard thing to get a lot of, you know, honestly, a lot of white people are kind of addicted to the notion that the way the, the way they want the world to be, the way that we want the world to be um, is the way it is. And that's just not the case, right? So um, the logical form of the world does not give itself to your wishes. I want the donut to be healthy for me. It doesn't mean that it is uh, healthy for me. All right, so this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a good show. So we're going to get a little bit deeper and we're going to talk about subjectivity and objectivity and how that kind of works out. So I understand myself in the world and the way I understand the world actually reflects how I understand myself. Right? So if let's say, let's talk about donuts. If I want the donut is delicious. I eat the donut because it is delicious. And then I come to learn that the donut also, in addition to be delicious, causes me to get diabetes in a gut, right? So the donut doesn't stop being delicious, but the donut starts having a more complicated logical form than merely its deliciousness. And 
Not only does the donut start to uh, attain a more complicated logical form, I understand myself as not being what I thought I was. I thought I was the person who could just eat anything and it was justified for me to eat because it was delicious. But now I have to be thoughtful about what I eat. And um, it being delicious isn't, it's like the fact of it being delicious, the certainty I have of it's delicious, isn't necessarily the truth of the donut. So the donut in truth is um, like more than just delicious, right? And I am in truth, not just because I feel good, I am in truth actually vulnerable in ways that I, you know, might not feel. It might, I might have a, a cancer diagnosis that I don't know about, right? So I feel good, but in truth, I'm not because I'm actually more complicated than my feelings. I didn't know that, which is why you can't give like two-year-olds and some wild animals like donuts. They'll eat themselves until they're either sick or dead. But people who actually have kind of like can be brought about by experience to understand that the world is more complicated than their senses and the world is more complicated than even their wants can actually like understand themselves in a more objective way, right? That's not always the truth. And you know, when I explain this to students, I talk about uh, former professional athletes. You know, there are some perform former professional athletes who retire, but then eat like they were 23. They don't understand that they're not the same thing that they were in 23, that they are more complex and some ways a little bit slower than they were. So then, then they get fat real fast. Like in, within two years of, 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 of retirement, they've ballooned up because they ate as if they were professional athletes. They didn't understand that they are more complex. They are not what they thought they were. They were holding on to an idea of themselves and holding on to an idea of the world and holding on to an idea of the relationship between themselves and the world that was not true. And they could either grow up and adjust their diet, or they could hold on to this relationship with the world and then be like, I don't understand why I gained 70 pounds in the offseason. Like, like that is a lot of maturity is being able to let go of bad ideas about the world. And that means let go of also inadequate ideas about yourself. Because not only are you addicted to the world being a certain way, you're addicted to yourself being a certain way, and you're addicted to the, yourself interacting with the world in a certain way. And when that's not true, or when that's no longer adequate, or when that's no longer true, are you going to be mature enough to let it go? And uh, like I said, when I talk to students, I have to talk about this in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways I talk about it is just like, look, I was at a party about six, seven years ago, and there was a kid, a five-year-old, little white kid. And he wouldn't let his, uh, he, he held in his poop. He had to poop. He was like, he was old enough. He was like six, right? So he held in his poop like this. He was just sitting there and his parents were like, you know, you really should go to the bathroom and let that go. But he was like, no, I don't want to. And then he'd have a little smile on his face and, and he'd say, it's mine. And there's a way in which if you don't have control over your life, these little bits of areas where you do have control, you're going to hold on to as opposed to just let it go. And there's, a way, there's also a way in which he, the little kid was right. It was his. But the parents are right, he needs to let it go. So you need, if you're going to be mature, you need to let go of the aspects of yourself that are underdeveloped and inadequate. 
Right? So a lot of what I talk about freedom a lot, both in my classes and on the show, and we have an underdeveloped and inadequate understanding of freedom. And, you know, I consider myself an intellectual laxative. You listen to me and then that inadequate, underdeveloped notion of freedom and yourself, you just got to let it go. Or you could just be like the kid who holds on to it because it's his, right? It's not the best part of you, right? So the, the 35-year-old who, the 50-year-old who dresses like he's, he's 19 or the, the, 30, the, the former NBA player who eats like a 20-year-old, um, like they're not letting go of this idea they have of themselves, which is in no way, and their relationship to the world, in which case food or clothes or whatever, that is no longer adequate. They're not letting go of that. And so Fred Hampton had to let go of his idea that justice could come, was going to come from just simply like asking white people nicely. You got to let that go. Or you can't be surprised when it's fundamentally inadequate. And if you're not willing to let that go, you're not serious about justice. You're not serious about justice. You're, you're, you're more serious about holding on to this idea about what the world is, what our situation is, and your relationship to our situation. So he's like, look, as I became more objective and I actually like paid attention to the way the world works, I had to understand that, you know, you can't talk people into like giving up the quality of power that white people are pathologically addicted to. And we've structured society to give them the quality of entitlements that they don't want to give it up, right? So for us to be free, that means they're going to have to take a haircut and they might not want to take a haircut and, you know, they have guns, right? So what, um, so that was kind of what Fred was working with. And I, and I think he did, he did it pretty well, just kind of working through kind of his, his thoughts about like, as I grew up, and I understood that there's going to be a limit to what nonviolence can do. I had to just kind of prepare myself for the fact of violence. And, you know, Gandhi said this pretty, pretty well, I think. Um, like, you have to understand, Gandhi said that the, the government will use your fear of jail in order to scare you, to control you. So you have to let that go. You have to understand that going to jail is like a soldier going to battle. It's not something you go out and do and because you want to do it and you like it. You just understand that it's part of the duty and when the battle comes to you, you don't run away from it. Right? And that's what Fred Hampton like, and the Black Panthers were like with, with violence. They didn't want to do it. They, they wanted just like their community to be whole. And Fred understood that he's not free until all of his people are free. You can't be free alone. Like that, the illusion that you, can't, you can be free alone is, is something I'll pierce um, and I have pierced before, but no, you can't be free and um, be alone. I, and hold on. Well, I'll, I'll get this to you. So that was the first lesson. Now I'm going to um, give you a clip of Fred Hampton when he was called in as a consultant. There was another little black group that was trying to community organize um, and they brought him in to kind of look. And remember, Fred Hampton's 21 years old when he's doing all this. So he's looking at uh, their blueprint for their organization, and he's going to kind of help them understand what's at stake and how to think through their organizational problems. This is Fred Hampton, the mind, doing work. 
you basically knowing my ideology, basically you knowing me knowing yours, you can uh, support some of our programs. Is that what you're saying? Why not? And you believe in programs like the Breakfast with Children program and free health clinics? Right on, brother? We believe they're good things. Uh huh. As a focal point to organize their mothers and fathers. Uh huh. Peace. Mm-hmm. There's no educational program here? Uh, that's come out of social action. You know, you set that up, brother. I mean, we can't put everything on one piece of paper. What about this bank? Credit union? Mm -hmm. Credit union. Credit union, my brother. Is a bank. If you're hip to, are you hip to credit unions? It is a bank. Yeah, you go and buy money? Yeah. yeah, it's a bank. It's a bank. Owned by the people. Run for the people. And by the people. What will money be given out to people for? Well, the people would decide that. You want to buy, you know, whatever, you know, the people in the community would decide. You need some living room furniture, maybe? You need a car, maybe? See, I got, the thing is with me, you dig, I, I need to know some more about it. I wish you had some more literature about the educational thing here. Because, you dig, as far as we're concerned in, uh, in the struggle, the way we look at struggle is that uh, this depends on the educational thing, you dig. Because of this depends on the education. Well, the whole thing. No, but in the end, this does. You, you can form this with no education. You can uh, form this. No, this. not the way we're talking about forming it. You know, right. We're talking about forming it right. You know, it's not on the paper. We didn't write it on no, the paper. Form it right with no education. No. Let me give you an example. Uh, you, Mo, you, your Mo Kenyatta formed the excellent revolution with no education. And on the day of the end thing, your Mo told the motherfucker, I said, well, uh, you know, uh, you've been educated to uh, uh, hate the enemy, but uh, I'm your brother. I'll help you lead the revolution. Now I'm more pressure. Another example, Papa Doc in Haiti. Papa Doc in Haiti hated everything white. Man, you couldn't put this white paper in front of Papa Doc's face. But he moved all the white people out, and he took over and be yeah, oppressed. He did, because no education. And the people that have been educated, they said that we don't hate the motherfucker uh, white people. We hate the oppressor, whether he be white, black, brown, or yellow. So we got to know your educational program to find out what is going to be in the finale. A lot of people work. Your Mokinyat is called not a never a revolutionary, but an ex-revolutionary. So it's Papa Doc. They brought on a successful revolution. That thing in uh, the mom house was a bitch. Bantu freedom fighters, all that kind of action. But what we're saying is, that it's the end. But you don't judge Castro now. You can't do it. Nobody in this room could judge whether Castro's gonna be a revolutionary or not. Uh, you know what I mean? We're talking about things, you know what I mean, uh, with uh, China, the People's Republic, and even at the stage they're in now, talking about even going on further into a communistic state. That's what we're talking about. That was a revolutionary. So we got to understand here the educational program that you have to be able to figure out whether it will go on the right lines where the people will end up in a situation where they can be able to really control themselves. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, with no education, the people that take this local foundation start stealing money because they won't be really educated to why it's the people's thing anyway. You know what I'm saying? With no education, you have neo-colonialism instead of colonialism, like you got in uh, Africa 9, like you got in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Haiti. So what we're talking about is there has to be uh, an educational program. That's very important. As a matter of fact, we are so important for us that a person has to go through six weeks of our political education before he can consider himself a member of the party, able to even run down ideology for the party. Why? Because if they don't have an education, then they know where. You dig what I'm saying? They know where, because they don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. You, you might get people caught up in the emotionless movement. Uh, you understand me? You might be get them caught up in because they're poor and they want something. And then if they're not educated, they want more. And before you know it, they'll be capitalists. And before you know it, we'll have Negro imperialists. Yeah, but you see, brother, the uh, reason we don't do a lot of talking because what you say is foregone conclusion with us. Yeah, well, see, brother, the reason I do do a lot of talking is because I don't. there's no foregone conclusion with me.
So that was Fred Hampton giving his advice. And you have to understand that even if you have the right opinion, if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, you're easily going to be talked out. Honestly, since you know I kind of study this, you're going to be flattered out of your opinion. You're going to end up selling out your friends just because someone flatters you. I remember uh, I spent about six months in Indonesia. And what... Uh, Anytime the palm oil company wanted to take over a little village, it would fly out the chiefs of that little village to Jakarta, the main city, and then like ply them full of drinks and nice dinners and tell them how awesome they were. And, um, and what a good deal that they were negotiating. And then they would fly them back to their little village and the village elders would then talk the rest of the village into going into it. <coughs> And then five years later, like the palm oil company or whatever company would own the, the whole village, right? So you can flatter people who don't know what they're doing into just about anything because they don't have any core. They, they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. And if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, you could easily be talked into doing something else. Or you'll go through your own unregulated desires and end up being like, you know, Papa Doc, right? So, um. Yeah, if you don't know what you're doing and if you can't like reason through it, then it's going to look a whole like there's not going to be any hole. Right? There's not going to be any limit to what you think you ought to do. There's not going to be any justice to your administration. Right? And uh, you'll be easily swayed by either immediate desires or someone else's flattery or someone else's opinion because there is no intellectual core. Uh, no stability. You're very unstable. And you're also an unstable ally because you don't actually know why you're doing what you're doing. You're a very just unstable um, person. Fred Hampton, no one was going to spin him. You could trust Fred Hampton in a room even when you're not in the room because he wasn't going to get spun. He knew who he was. So I'm trying to, like, with these, uh, with these, with this YouTube show, I'm trying to give you the quality of knowledge so that you're not easily spun, so that you're more reliable in all of your relationships and that you kind of understand what the struggle looks like, right? And, and, and I try to do so humor with a little bit of humor. For example, here is why you can't be um, free and alone at the same time. This cat won the lottery but had to pick up his check in a full scream mask and gloves because uh, he, didn't, he couldn't have any of his people know who he was. That's not free. That's not free. If you're free, you get to win the lottery and then go home and you don't have to change your phone number. Black people at home, if you won the lottery, you, you couldn't tell anybody. You wouldn't, like, you'd have to change your phone. You'd probably have to move. And, and that's a problem. That's not freedom. Being free is being able to win the lottery and still show up at the family um, get-togethers, and have no one hit you up for money. That's what freedom is. Because all your family's doing fine, too. So who's free? The guy with $10 million, but has to, like, vacate everyone who knows, who can't pick up his phone, and can't, has to be worried about being recognized? Or the cat with $200,000 in the bank, knowing that everybody around them is both black and has $200,000 in their bank, too? I think the second person's more free. So you have to kind of understand what freedom actually looks like. And, you can't, and it can't be just alone because then you can't have the quality of interactions you want with uh, the people you want, right? So 
Uh, Fred Hampton knew that it's not enough to have the right opinion. You might just happen to have the right opinion by luck. And then the next day you wake up and have the wrong opinion because of something you ate. Or you talk to someone and they have the wrong opinion. They convinced you because they're pretty. So if you don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it, like you're nowhere and you're not leading anybody anywhere. It's just a different kind of confusion. But um, I want to talk about one other aspect of the Black Panther Party. They had, they had a medical centers, little neighborhood medical clinics, and it actually set up the model that's nationwide for community medical centers. This wasn't a thing really before, uh, but the Black Panthers instituted, but they instituted it in a particular way, and I'm, and, and I'm going to talk about that after you watch the videos of them talking about it. So, of the basic need in the black community for free medical service. You had this done about three days ago, you think? This is not the burn hand, this right. is another one. Oh, okay. Does it feel painful? No, it's not painful. Like it's infected and everything? No, it's not painful. It's good. Yeah. We got doctors for every day this week. Next week we got no, we need one for next Thursday. Come to the clinic tomorrow for an appointment. What about what is the what are the chances of getting the ambulance now? Uh -huh. If we can buy ambulance, that's the best chance. I mean, what about the idea is all right, but it don't, you know, the idea is all right, but we just have to have money to get ambulance. Well, how much can't you use ambulance? Yes. Yeah. I tell you, I'm going to bring uh, uh, a couple of pharmacists from the hospital where I am. They want to come out and see it, and they're interested in working, you know. We can have patients come through, see a doctor. After they get through, get a test, or what have you, then they come in and see the people's advocate. That's a community person, a person in the party who acts like a liaison between the center here itself and the community. He asks them what type of service they thought they got here in the center, you know, any other criticisms in the medical center itself. It's also to deal with problems outside medical problems, you know. People's Advocate has a resource file. In this file, we have uh, teachers, uh, uh, sociologists, speech therapists, social workers. You know, this is all part of the resource file. Okay, okay well, look at here. So there are a few things you have to notice about the medical center. The medical center understood medicine in a way that white people don't tell you and uh, understood health in a way that white people aren't very good at talking about. Health isn't just a bodily thing, right? Um, there, was a, there was a disease called uh, I think a drip, Drapetopia that they said slaves have that would make them keep running away. They were diseased because they would keep running away. You know, it was, it was scientifically founded by this guy named Huntington, Drapetopia. Um, uh, the, you know, these slaves keep running away. There's something broken about them. And um, they're, they're sick. But actually, health for humans is tied to self-determination. You are not healthy unless you are free. And free, it doesn't mean just doing anything you want because you want to. It means participating in a quality of institution with other people um uh where like there's there's certain inter interdependent it's freedom through a quality of interdependence 
Because if I'm not dealing with anybody, that means I got to grow my own food and, um, you know, you know, wash my own clothes and, and you know, make sure my own water is clean. Like, no, I don't want to do any of that. I want to go to Kroger. I want to, to read books. I, I'd like, my freedom comes through interdependence. But it's going to come through an interdependence. I mean, I don't want to have to design this microphone. I, I want to just click on Amazon and have it delivered to me. But this interdependence isn't going to be something that um, I have no say over. I need to have a fair say in the inter interdependence through which I particularize myself and live my life. Right? And that's what real freedom for humans is going to be. I'm going to be able to make myself a unique member of this society. Doesn't mean being alone. Alone isn't freedom. You're just kind of prey to nature that way. I can do another show on that. But it's going to be a quality of interdependence where you have equal power and it's structured in the right way. Right? You're not going to be anybody else's tool. Right. And they're not going to be yours. Right. So, um, but health isn't just tied to something physical. Health is also mental. And the mental is not um, emancipated from the social and political empowerment. Right. So there's this idea, and this is, this is what white people will feed you, that mental health is all about, like, your own mind. That's never been the case. You can't be mentally healthy without social and political empowerment. Anybody who's telling you that is stupid, or they're just laboring under a fundamentally underdeveloped notion of what health or freedom or what the human mind looks like. Uh, I'm going to go on rising next week and, and kind of poop on Maslow's hierarchy of needs for a variety of reasons. But um, health isn't going to be physical, it's going to be mental, and the mental is also going to include your social and political interactions, because that's how you understand yourself. You don't understand yourself out externally from your, abstracted from your social and political interactions any more than you understand what a queen bee is outside of her role in a hive. If you think you have an understanding what a queen bee is, but you don't have anything, but it's got nothing to do with the hive, um, then, you are you you have a very abstract and just a poor understanding of what a queen bee is and that's the same person who thinks well you know i i they're free but their freedom uh is emancipated from like their institutional relationships in the world no you have just a very underdeveloped and abstract notion of what freedom is freedom is realized in and through your institutions in the world so you are not free just like in your mind you have to be free also in your mind, but you're free through your institutional relationships. Slaves, no matter how happy they were um, or like uh, how like enlightened they were, they were slaves because that was the institutional relationship that defined them. Not all of them, like not all parts of them, but enough that they couldn't both be free in their mind and slaves. No, they're going to be unhealthy. You're going to be traumatized. Because there's a traumatizing existence. Um, there is no, so there's not going to be health that is somehow emancipated from social and political empowerment. Now, the problem is we don't talk about that because the way we talked about mental health emerged largely in the 1880s in Austria to deal with white women who we didn't want to politically, um, like these bourgeois women who were just bored and anxious about their life, they thought it was meaningless because it was meaningless. So we kind of 
secured psychoanalysis to deal with or kind of thought through and worked out popular psychoanalysis to deal with those women and keep them unempowered, but somehow managed. Right? So black people, if you're going to some sort of therapist who says like, well, you know, you just need to deal with your issues um, in your mind and not like, no, you need a lawyer. Like real freedom, real health is going to come with you having a lawyer, with you having an advocate, with you having an accountant, with you having like the institutions for life, a good job at a fair wage and like time off or some other independent source of income. Speaking of independent <laughs> sources of income, go ahead and go over to thefunkyacademic.com and kick down five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month. Because depending on who you talk to, I'm making myself down white unemployable. Um, but I'm doing it for the people. But I also have bills to pay and things cost money. And I'd like to have like a marketing budget. And I like the monthlies because monthly uh, donations I can budget around and. Uh, it's just better for my life. So if you get anything out of what I do every week, and you should, because I think what I'm, I'm trying to develop a more robust notion of freedom amongst the people so we know what to fight for and so we're not swayed. Because before I talked about the, the guys in Jakarta, the chiefs in Jakarta, who would fly over, uh, the chiefs outside of Jakarta, who would fly to Jakarta and then get wine and dine and go home and sell off their whole village. That's not different than a lot of your congressional black congress members who go up to Washington, get wined and dined, and then sell out all the Negroes back home um, because they were flattered. Because these guys aren't much smarter than you would think. I don't have very nice things to say about John Lewis. Um, so if you want someone to say nice things about John Lewis, uh, that you'd have to go to someone else. I'm one of these cats who think that John Lewis has paid good money by Clinton liberals to take ownership of the civil rights movement as if it's its own, his own personal property and then sell it because he can't sell what you don't own. So we had to take ownership and then sell it to uh, people like uh, Bill Clinton. And, 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 and I do not appreciate that because that did not secure freedom for my people. So um, health isn't just going to be a physical thing. It's going to be mental. And mental is not emancipated from social and political empowerment. So if you're serious about actually securing people health, you're securing them the conditions for their empowerment. Good job, fair wage, because the private labor market does not absorb stigmatized communities at fair wages and good working conditions. So we'll always be doing crap jobs um, at, at poor conditions. So that means we need to be secured a good job at a fair wage because white people get to be employees. We still get to be like, which, black people are just like a bump up from slavery. And that's, that's different. Being an employee is great because you got like a 401k, you have a retirement plan, you have vacation, you get time off, you could Zoom to work, you get expense accounts diems and stuff. Being an employee is not so bad. It's just being black and being an employee in America is not the same. Not the same. All right. So, um, you know, I'm going to do a show about how we've stigmatized employment so much that black people think that the only way forward is to be self-employed. But that <laughs> we live in an industrial economy. So, like, 97% of the people, or 95 right now, of the labor force works for somebody else. So we're going to have to work for somebody else. We just don't work for them as slaves. The work we do needs to be compensated because most people work for somebody else. There's no shame in working for somebody else. And in an industrial economy, you can't have a mom and pop compete with Amazon and Walmart. But what you can do is make sure that the black Amazon employees, and a lot of them are black, are getting paid fair money. We take, we, we, and that means you're going to have to claw back money from Jeff Bezos and uh, pay it to our people. And that way I still get my goods, like this microphone, computer, 
but we do it for the people, but the people producing the goods and, and distributing the goods actually get paid off their wages. So, um, health isn't going to be physical. It's also going to be mental. And the mental is not divorced from political and social empowerment. So anyone who talks about mental health, but they're not also talking about political and social empowerment, especially for black people, like they're what, I mean, Malcolm X said it pretty well when he said, like, you could sober up. If you're drunk, you could sober up, but you'll still be poor. And that's a problem. So, yeah, it's not about changing your mindset to be happy. It's about changing the world to make it worthy of a mindset that is satisfied. Right? So the satisfactions that, that, are, that are tantamount to health aren't just physical. They're going to be also um, mental. And the mental is also going to be social. So it's important that you have in any sort of notion of a health center, also an advocate. I mean, I did a show a while back on, on how we need legal care for all as a matter of right. You can't be a nation of laws, but then restrict access to lawyers to like the top 10% of America. Because that just means everybody else is food for the people who can actually afford lawyers. All right, so that was the medical center. And one last, two, three, so I, did, I did three clips. Yeah, kind of have a good sense of Fred Hampton. It'll probably be at least as good of a sense of Fred Hampton that you'll get from, you know, the movie that's going to come out in a few months. But um, Fred Hampton was a revolutionary. And if you don't believe him, you can just listen to the man himself. We might not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you can remember I said with the last words on my lips that I am a revolutionary. And you're going to have to keep on saying that. Do anything they want to do us. We might not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I and uh, thank you for taking the time. Go ahead and email this show out. Tell your friends about it. I think, uh, I think you know, forego your book group. Maybe possibly forego your Sunday school class and just watch this video instead and then talk about it. Because I think it's worth talking about. And you might learn something about freedom and Jesus. So thank you for your time, and I will see you next week. If you appreciate the work I do every week and you think that I should continue to do it because I'm giving you the quality of political knowledge and insight that will help you not squander your life and kind of rescue meaning from it, then go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month or make one enormous donations. I like the monthlies because it allows me to budget more and that'll help me, you know, with a marketing budget or getting better equipment that works all the time because a lot of, in a lot of ways, freedom means having equipment that works every time you turn it on. <laughs> and I want to be a free Negro. So um, if you like what I do, go to funkyacademic.com and contribute. Thanks often comes in the form of cash and the site takes credit cards.